The title of this morning's message is The Armor of the Finished Work. This morning I want to continue to talk to you about our spiritual armor that is found in Ephesians chapter 6. What I hope you come away with today is confidence in the truth that each and every one of us already has our spiritual armor on as a gift. We don't actually need to see ourselves in our minds every day putting on pieces of metal armor. (laughs) We can, but we don't have to. Instead, we just need to know and understand how the finished works of Jesus have already provided for us everything we need for life and godliness, including protection from our enemy Satan and his wiles and schemes. Jesus has already accomplished everything that was needed in order for God to give us himself (laughs) and a thoroughly complete salvation, all through what we call the finished works of Jesus, which include his sinless earthly life lived in perfect submission to his Father that qualified him to be our sinless sacrificial lamb. His passion before the cross, by which whose stripes our healing has been bought. His death on the cross, whereby the curse of sin and death was destroyed. His resurrection from the dead, whereby he conquered death and proved that our Father had indeed accepted his sacrifice on behalf of mankind. It includes his ascension into heaven, whereby he poured out the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) And his being seated at the right hand of power by his Father, where he rules and reigns as king, especially through knowledgeable believers. The finished works of Jesus accomplished a complete and total victory on our behalf over sin, the old self, and Satan. And now we can apprehend all the benefits of this salvation gift by grace, through faith, through the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. We can see this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. I have it for you in the King James with my own red enhancements. <laughs> it says, Grace, which is our Father's divine favor and divine enablement, and peace, which includes rest, be multiplied unto you experientially. God wants us to have this and to experience his absolutely free loving kindness and his divine enablement and his peace and rest. He wants that to actually be real in and through our lives. Be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, according as his divine power hath given unto us. I love this. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. How? (laughs) Through the knowledge of him that has called us to his glory, which means God's view and opinion, his glory and virtue, which is efficacious power. Quite a few translations, if you look for this verse, you'll find the word his is missing from the sentence, which is really sad (laughs) because it really does change the emphasis from being on God's all-encompassing provision to calling us as believers to come up to some kind of standard of glory and moral excellence, which is how they usually translate that word. The earliest manuscripts have the word his before the words glory and virtue. 
which makes much more sense in the light of the fact that Peter is speaking about what God has already provided. <laughs> already provided everything we need for godliness. Now, I want to show you some definitions of some of these words, because I know for some of you, you're like, hey, you're changing what that means. That's the point. <laughs> what did it mean when it was written? <laughs> the first word is knowledge. And according to the Strong's, the word knowledge in this scripture is the word epignosis. It means recognition. That is, by implication, full discernment or acknowledgement. And it includes the idea of our relationship to truth. Epi-knowledge. It is two parts to this word. Epi, meaning over and above, and gnosis, meaning regular knowledge, natural knowledge. So together they mean over and above mere natural carnal knowledge. In other words, it's revelation knowledge. That's important because in our relationship with God, the knowledge that is effective for us is where we've had a revelation, where God shows us the truth. And we're like, oh, I see that. <laughs> I didn't see that before. Also, the Thayer's uh, lexicon says that knowledge, the same word, epignosis, is precise and correct knowledge. Now, that makes a difference. <laughs> is what we believe true. Now, we know Jesus is true, but how many flavors of Jesus are there? <laughs> Quite a few. <laughs> if you know Jesus, you're saved. But that doesn't mean everything you believe is correct. And it matters because we only live out of what we believe. We can only access by faith what we truly believe God has already provided. So lots and lots of people have different ideas about what's actually true about God. I used to believe God was mad at me most of the time. <laughs> Look, you're not perfect again. <laughs> Look, you didn't read three chapters. You only read one. I was always falling short of what I thought was God's perfection. So I always thought God was mad. Turns out I was completely wrong. <laughs> That's what truth does for you. It makes you really happy <laughs> when you get the truth that God's not mad. So it is through the correct and precise revelation knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus that enables us to have grace and peace multiplied to us. Doesn't that sound good? <laughs> it is. It's really, really good. The next word is glory. There are many different ways to translate and understand this word. Glory can be translated as splendor, brilliance, like when Jesus was transfigured and we saw his glory. <laughs> it can mean credit. We give God all the glory. <laughs> it can mean manifest presence that we see that he is with us either visibly or that is revealed to our spirit man, and we can see it in the spirit. All of this is glory. That's important when we look at this scripture and it says he's called us to his glory and virtue. See, what translators have done, they have taken the his out and said he has called us to glory and virtue. In other words, come up to, <laughs> come up to his standard of glory. Come up to his standard of moral excellence. Cannot do it. <laughs> we cannot come up to his standard. We have to have his 
glory, and virtue given to us. It's all about him. The Thayer's lexicon says that glory can, in very many places, be better understood as God's opinion, judgment, and view. God's view and opinion. In the New Testament, this is from Thayer's, it always refers to a good opinion of someone, resulting in praise, honor, and glory. Credit. <laughs> so God's glory is contained, if you will, in the way God views things way he sees things. So that makes much more sense when we say God has called us to his view and opinion. His view and opinion. In other words, see it the way I see it. <laughs> Don't look out there. <laughs> Understand, you can call 72,000 angels, see it from my point of view. So according to this scripture, we are called to adopt as our own God's views and opinions about everything but especially about who God is in his fullness and what he has accomplished through Jesus and the finished works. It also includes the idea of us adopting God's views and opinions about ourselves. Aha! <laughs> we need to see ourselves the way he sees us, not what we see in the mirror, not what we see through our own investigation. We need to see ourselves the way God sees us. What is his view and opinion? of us. That's because God's opinions are always good opinions. <laughs> That's why we need to see from his point of view. And we need to see things the same way he sees them. The next word I have for you is the word virtue. The two can be used in many different ways, but I like the Webster's 1828 dictionary says, virtue is strength. Now this is the absolutely correct understanding of the word virtue but most translators call it moral excellence. Hmm, <laughs> what is he trying to say there? <laughs> well, virtue, and this makes sense when you understand that they use the word virtue when the lady with the issue of blood touched the hem of his garment, it says virtue came out of him. Was that moral excellence that came out of him? <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> it was power. Virtue is efficacious power. Again, the Webster says that a substance or a quality of physical bodies by which they act and produce effects on other bodies. This makes a lot of sense when you start thinking body of Christ and the body of us. <laughs> In this literal and proper sense, we speak of the virtue or virtues of plants in medicine and the virtues of drugs. These virtues are powerful effects where something has an effect on something else that's very powerful, especially when you start talking bodies. <laughs> In other words, these substances have what we call efficacious power within themselves to cause changes on what they come in contact with. A good example would be essential oils. Essential oils have efficacious power. You put them on your skin and they do stuff to you. <laughs> they can make you feel better. Okay? Oils have within them their own power when they come in contact with you. It's all about the contact. So in these verses, God calls us to accept his precise and correct revelation knowledge about himself and about Jesus, which brings us to recognizing and acknowledging 
his views and opinions and his efficacious power because we are in full body contact. <laughs> he calls us to know him intimately and to understand how complete our salvation really is. And God brought salvation to us all by himself without us helping him at all. <laughs> it's all about what he has done. So there's nothing we can do to add to what Jesus has already done for us in order to secure this gift of salvation. All we do is believe and receive. And we don't even do that all by ourselves. We have been given the very faith of Jesus, which is activated within our hearts when we hear the good news of what Jesus and our Father have already provided. And one of the things we know from science is that our brains do not like future tense words. Science says when you tell your brain, we are going to start an exercise program next week, your brain goes, ha, 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 so funny, <laughs> fairy tales in the future, it doesn't really exist. Our brains actually function this way. So when we say, in the future, I'm, your brain goes, let's just take that and put it in fairy tale land because it's not real. <laughs> That's why it's so important to understand the finished works of Jesus. So we know from science that it is actually easier for us to believe in something that's already finished, something that's already been accomplished, something that's already been given, than in thinking of something coming in the future. So it's important we know what Jesus and our Father have already accomplished through all the works of Jesus, so that we can exercise our faith in our Father's grace, his absolutely free loving kindness, who has already granted everything we need for life and godliness. Now, when I began this message, I told you that we don't need to see ourselves putting on literal pieces of armor every day. It's okay if you do, okay? <laughs> it's okay if you do. <laughs> we don't have to in order to be safe. And that's because this armor is literally all the finished works of Jesus. And when we know these finished works, when we know and understand what Christ has done for us, that is our armor. Jesus is the armor that we are already dressed in. Now, you may be in your little brain, they're going, uh, <clears throat> pardon me there, Pastor Valerie, <laughs> but what about Ephesians 6.11, <laughs> which says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Well, that's a funny thing. Different words mean different things. Let's take a look. <laughs> the word for put on is the Greek word from the Strong's in duo. It's a compound word. It comes from two other words, which we will look at shortly. But it means specifically to put on in the sense of sinking down into a garment. It means to invest with clothing, be arrayed, or to close with. It means endued. I like endued. Endued with power. <laughs> to have on or to put on. It can be translated all those different ways. Now, have any of you ever sunk down into your clothes? I mean, we could lay on top of them, but I don't think that would get them on. <laughs> So this word paints a kind of a funny picture because it literally means sink down into. 
What does he mean? Let's look at this word a little closer. The first part is in, E-N, and it means, in English, I-N. It's very easy. <laughs> Greek in means English in. <laughs> really good. The second one, though, do know, means to sink down <laughs> into. We don't sink down into our clothes. <laughs> what is he talking about? Maybe it's not us who does the sinking. With these two words combined, we get the idea of something sinking down into something else. That's a good picture. Perhaps we are looking at it as something that needs to sink down into us. Hmm. <laughs> now, one of the words we saw in the definition of put on is the word endow. Well, it's actually in do. According to the Webster's, if you look in do, it says go see endow. <laughs> endow is a good word. <laughs> Indu is a good word. According to the Webster's, 1828, endow means to furnish or supply as a permanent provision. That's a good word. <laughs> to furnish with a permanent fund of property. In other words, it can mean to transfer property permanently. It means to enrich or furnish with any gift, quality, or faculty to endue. So I think the combination of these ideas reveals what it actually means to put on. It means that one, we already have a permanent provision. Jesus, <laughs> and a permanent access to that provision, which is his complete victory. Two, it means we need to let the truth of what Jesus has done, already done for us and as us, sink down into our heart where it becomes real to us. And then three, it also means that through Jesus' finished work, we have already, already been clothed by our Father with Jesus and his complete victory. It's a work that he has already done. But that doesn't mean that we as believers necessarily understand all that he's done, which is why we need precise and correct revelation knowledge of what Jesus has done for us. So that as those truths sink down into us, where we can, by faith, stand on these truths and defeat the enemy's tricks and schemes. The term put on is also found in Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, where it says this, For ye are all the children, and I have in red, sons. The Greek word there is huios. It always refers to an adult son who has ruling and reigning rights. <laughs> Even though it's an endearment to say that we are God's children, God says, that's perfectly fine. Know that I love you like my children, but who you are is a son of God with ruling and reigning rights over this earth. For ye are all sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have already have put on Christ. Now, to baptize something, <laughs> is to make it fully wet. <laughs> it paints the picture of a garment becoming fully soaked with water. So it starts out fully dry, but comes up from being submerged fully wet. So before we received Christ, we were the fully dry, <laughs> completely lacking any life, <laughs> no God inside of us. But 
now that we have become fully submerged, placed down into Christ as the living water, we came up wearing the fullness of Christ. That's what we have on, the fullness of Christ. We are now fully wet and dripping, (laughs) dripping with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. We are dripping with power, and most of the time we're not even aware of it. (laughs) So we are fully clothed with Jesus himself. So spiritually speaking, the word tells us that as he is, as Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father, so are we in this world. Already victorious, ruling and reigning, that's our position. We are in him and we have the full clothing of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word for put on is also found in Colossians 3, beginning with verse 8 and going to verse 11. The context of these verses is that the Apostle Paul is telling believers that their life choices and responses really should (laughs) match their true identity, (laughs) beginning with verse 8. But now ye also put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not to one another, seeing that ye have already put off the old man with his deeds, and have already (laughs) put on the new man, which is renewed in true knowledge, after the image of him that created him. We are born into his very image. The word renewed here is actually um, better understood as renovation. Renovation is important. It's a two-step process. (laughs) We got to take stuff out (laughs) before the new stuff goes in. (laughs) We have to break down those lies that we don't even realize we believe, like God is mad at me. If I don't have revelation knowledge that convinces me that God's not mad at me, then I'm not going to receive the abundance of grace and peace because I have this blockage in my understanding. (laughs) I'm not going to access it by faith. So we remold how we see ourselves according to the truth of our spiritual reality in Christ. Apostle Paul is really talking about identity. Even though he says, you got some habits (laughs) you need to work on, (laughs) he said, It doesn't change who you are. We need to understand the fullness of who we are so that we can live out of that identity. We always live out of what we really believe. So the Apostle Paul is reminding them of their spiritual reality of their new creation identity. To put on the new man is to agree with God that we already are the new man. (laughs) We're not trying to become the new man. We're not trying to become like Jesus. That would be calling us to our own glory and virtue. No, we start with done. We start with his. (laughs) We start with already provided. And yes, we do have to have the process of renewing our minds so that we get rid of those habits that don't reflect who we really are. We currently right now possess a new creation reality. We already have a new heart. In the old covenant, God tells them that there's a new covenant coming. I'm going to change you. I'm going to take out your heart of stone. I'm going to give you a brand new heart. (laughs) And then I'm going to give you a brand new spirit. And then I'm going to marry myself to you. (laughs) That's what he's done. It is about who we are in him. So as we renew our minds to the truth of our new creation identity as sons and bondservants of God, 
We are sons of God who serve, I love this, by ruling and reigning. You see, that's our job description. Rule and reign. <laughs> How? Through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and being empowered by the grace of who he is. He wants us to serve him by ruling and reigning on this earth. And when we do that, we will find that we already have, we already have power and wisdom. We already have it in us by the Holy Spirit. He is the one that enables us to put off to get rid of the wrong reactions and responses that reflect a former identity as a sinner. Too many believers think they're sinners. But yet most of the New Testament is written to saints, ones that God call holy. Holy means his. <laughs> we are his bride. We are his people. We are his. That's what makes us holy. The truth is, it can take some time, sometimes quite a while, <laughs> for our new creation identity to overtake the remnants of our old corrupted identity that still hangs around in our belief systems. So renovation is usually for all of us, an ongoing process. <laughs> We're always stepping into the light more and more. And back to our original verse, Ephesians 6.11. Put on which we now know means to seek down into the truth or to let the truth seek down into us, who is Christ. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We will need to make use of all the truths of all that Jesus has done for us in order to remain standing in our place of victory. The place of faith in God's mega grace and Jesus' finished work. Satan will always try to get us to look at ourselves to see if we're worthy of God's help and deliverance. Which, if we look at our behaviors and our mistakes, just like Paul was talking about, <laughs> we may come to the conclusion that, nope, we don't deserve God's help. <laughs> Which may be true in the natural realm, but in the spiritual realm, we don't have to deserve any of God's help and provision. It's all ours by inheritance, by grace, through faith. Our Father and our Jesus have already granted us everything we need for life and our godliness through the knowledge of him that have called us to his glory, his view and opinion, and his virtue or efficacious power. It's already been granted. For years, God, please, Please help me to lose weight. God, please, I can't do this by myself. God, please, God, I'm stuck. I'm in bondage. I need deliverance. God, please, you didn't do anything on that cross, and I'm mad about it. <laughs> because if you really loved me, I'd be delivered already. I didn't know I was delivered already. <laughs> Everybody kept telling me, you're not delivered. You don't look delivered. You don't feel delivered. What makes you think you're delivered? My God says, my God says I'm delivered from all the power of the enemy. My God says I have been made a son of God and I can rule and reign over my physical body. God says I need to know what God says and that it's true. Even if I don't feel like it's true, it's still true. And when I understand that it's true, 
Tada! <laughs> Here it comes! <laughs> because he's already given it. It's already ours. And that's the thing. We need to believe it in order to receive it. And sometimes that's where we really struggle. I don't feel well, but I am. Your brain goes, that's not real. <laughs> don't listen to your brain. <laughs> listen to Jesus. <laughs> Ephesians 6, verse 12, continuing on. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of this darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places, all of whom are already defeated, but they are really good liars and they stir up trouble. He didn't go away. He just got stripped of all of his power, force, I mean, because what he does is he influences us. He whispers those lies into our brain. <laughs> he whispers these things that are contrary to truth. When we've been steeped in a message like God is mad when you fall down, then that's the first thing you think when you fall down. So it is about letting the Holy Spirit renew, renovate our mind, taking out all of those old lies that kept us from standing in the grace that has been given to us through our Lord. Verse 13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. What is our fight? Standing. <laughs> what am I doing? Standing. <laughs> what am I going to do when I don't feel like standing? Standing. <laughs> That's what we're called to do, to stand in the truth and grace and faith that has already been given to us and take hold of all that has already been granted. That's our battle, to stay in God's grace and truth by faith. We don't fight Satan. We fight lies. We fight accusations that he whispers into our minds and hearts. We can usually recognize his schemes of fear and doubt and condemnation. So all we have to do is understand that we are completely safe in Christ and then cast down those vain imaginations and continue to stand on the truth of what Jesus has already done for us and as us. We have become literally the righteousness of God in Christ, <laughs> in him. <laughs> and there's no way of us getting out. <laughs> there's no way out. There's no exit in Jesus land. <laughs> Once you get in, you're stuck there. <laughs> it's a good thing because we can be really stupid. <laughs> so we just keep standing. Verse 14, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. Now what I want you to see there is having. You know what having means? It means you already got it and you possess it. <laughs> you already have it. You already have this in your clothing, in your Jesus uniform, <laughs> the armor of God. <laughs> we already have. Stand therefore, because you already have your loins girded about with what? Truth. That's where our problem comes into our life. Is sometimes we don't know what is actually true. But once we understand that truth, it becomes ours. It is the truth that sets us free. The truth about Jesus and his finished work. Having, you already have it, your loins girt about with truth. And having already on you the breastplate of righteousness. 
Apart from Christ, we would be blind apart from understanding the truth, just like the rest of the world. Why can they not see? Even when you tell them the truth, they don't want it. They will not see. Apart from Christ, we can't see what is and isn't true. As much as we would like to think we could, <laughs> look at the rest of the world. They can't. Their eyes have been blinded. That's how important it is that we know and have Jesus, the truth. He is what has girded us about. John 14, verse 6. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. It is only in the light of his grace you see, if we thought we had to earn it, <laughs> we'd always be losing it because we'd always fall into, well, I don't deserve it again. <laughs> the light of grace shows us how far-reaching his love and mercy and grace is. And we can only see that and recognize it for what it is because Jesus is the light that turns on our ability to see the truth. It is all about Christ in us. We can see this too in John chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, which says, and out of his fullness, speaking of Jesus, one commentator put it this way, referring to Jesus' fullness. Out of his inexhaustible supply of his divine powers and attributes. An inexhaustible supply of divine power and attributes. Have we all received and grace for grace, or grace to be continuously graced. <laughs> we are graced by God's goodness and mercy and love to be placed in a state called grace where we live and where we are continuously graced, blessed, empowered. So our right standing is given to us as a gift of God's grace, of his free favor, so that all of his gifts and goodness can be given to us by his grace and received by faith. John 1.17 For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that grace and truth are on one side? Why isn't truth on the other side? <laughs> isn't what Moses said true? Well, it was then but it's no longer true. That's why you don't see Moses brought the law and truth. Nope, it was subject to change. <laughs> grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. The law couldn't give us grace. It still can't. And when we try to put ourselves under the law, we get what the law does produce. Condemnation. You're bad. You failed. You're wrong. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> how does that help? <laughs> it only finds us guilty. It will always find us guilty. If you go looking for sin, you will find some. I can guarantee it. Every revival my church ever had, I was at the altar repenting for something. One revival came along and I said, Lord, could I just enjoy this one? <laughs> Do I have to be bad? <laughs> I thought I was always bad. 
I thought God thought I was always bad because I kept putting myself under the law that's no longer true. Not a good idea. <laughs> so Jesus, Jesus is the truth. He is the belt or the part of the armor that enables us to recognize God is the source of all grace and truth. And his kingdom only operates in grace and truth <laughs> so that everything that he has can be received by faith in the finished works of Jesus. Ephesians 6, 14. Stand. <laughs> stand, therefore. Where do we stand? We stand in grace by faith. Stand, therefore, already having your loins girt about with truth and already having on the breastplate of righteousness. That's why we don't need to think of ourselves as putting something on because it never comes off. When we go to bed, the armor doesn't disappear <laughs> where we have to get up and put it on the next day. <laughs> it's always on. <laughs> yes, we can say, thank you, Jesus, that you are the belt of truth, that you are my breastplate of righteousness. Yes, I have this. And it's about us seeing ourselves that way as already clothed in Christ. All of the pieces of the armor are different are different ways of describing Jesus and his finished works. We never take Jesus off, and he promised he would never leave, no matter how stupid we are. <laughs> it doesn't matter how stupid we are. He says, if you become mine, you were mine forever. You are always in him. And Jesus said he would never leave us. We just need to let all these truths sink down into our hearts and let these truths persuade us to believe and trust in all that Jesus has done on our behalf. The breastplate of righteousness refers, of course, to our right standing with God the Father that Jesus purchased with his own blood that gave us our freedom from sin, the old self, and Satan. Again, this breastplate can never be taken away from us. It can't be stolen, and it can't be ruined. It can't be ruined by me doing something or forgetting something. It can't be ruined. It is a gift of our Father's great love for us to make us righteous so that he could be our life and our righteousness. And when you have righteousness, even through the whole Bible, if you have righteousness, you can have anything that belongs to God. And in the new covenant, of course, he's already given it to us. So <laughs> our right standing is a gift from beginning to end. It's not a reward for good behavior. And that's what changed my life. I was always trying to polish my armor. Look what I did, Jesus. I did it right today, Jesus. I read extra long today, Jesus. And I prayed four hours, Jesus. And I did this, Jesus. And I was always trying to buff up my righteousness armor. I don't have righteousness apart from Christ. That's why the armor is Christ. In Romans 5.8, the Apostle Paul tells us that God so loved us that he would demonstrate his love in a way that had the ability to persuade our hearts that we couldn't lose his love for us, no matter what we did. He said this, But God commendeth, demonstrates, exhibits his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
I love this verse. It makes me cry all the time. You look at it too long, you got to move along or you're never going to cry. <laughs> because if my sin could not keep my father from loving me and wanting me and rescuing me before the cross, then my sin can't keep my father from loving me and wanting me and rescuing me after the cross. One of the things that understanding our righteousness can instill in us is the true and correct knowledge that we never have to fear that our Father will reject us. He will never turn his face away from us because God has reconciled the whole world to himself through the cross, thereby making peace. And we see this again in Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, being declared innocent, God sees me just as if I have never sinned. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope, the confident expectation of the glory of God. Glory can be manifest presence. That's how I like to read it. The hope, the confident expectation of the manifest presence of God in and through my life. This, of course, helps us understand that Jesus is the next part of the armor, too, found in Ephesians 6.15, and I'm almost done, <laughs> which says, And your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This refers to shoes being adjusted. This word preparation, the real armor used to um, have to be fitted and special things done to, to make them able to make their feet more stable. That was the whole point. This preparation, this being adjusted, made them more stable. It helped them stand. It helped them to stay standing when the enemy came against them. This, of course, refers to the gospel of peace. Jesus is our peace. He is the good news. Jesus is the peace of God for everyone who believes. In Ephesians 2, 13 and 14, it says this, But now, now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both, both Jew and Gentile, one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall, hostility. The idea here is that our footing is made stable in Christ because our peace is found in what Jesus has done for us and not in anything that we could do. His blood paid our sin debt, making us righteous by God's grace. And now we have nothing to fear from God. I used to try to avoid God <laughs> when I had fallen. There was a time in my life where I avoided church for like six weeks. I would go to church. I just wouldn't go in the sanctuary. <laughs> because I thought I was a failure. And he couldn't possibly be happy with who I was. When we understand Jesus has given us peace with God, our Father. He has given us complete peace that can never be taken away from us. No matter how far we fall, <laughs> it can never be taken away from us. In the light of all that Christ has done for us on our behalf, we can do what the next verse says, Ephesians 6:16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith we will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. The wicked one only lies. That's what he does. He lies. And he does that to try to get out of our standing of grace and get into the standing of self-effort. 
He wants us to see ourselves as guilty. All he does is lie. He throws darts at our heads. <laughs> but when we understand how sure and permanent our salvation really is, and that there's nothing that Satan can do to change our standing, it becomes easier for us to trust Jesus and our Father when we come under the attack of his lies, the lies that cause fear and doubt and condemnation. Understanding our Father's and our Jesus's faithfulness causes our faith to rise like a shield, thereby quenching all the lying threats and all the roaring of the lion. And then we just continue to stand in the grace and the love of our Father and our Savior by faith. We just keep standing. The armor of the finished work is Jesus himself. Jesus himself is truth. Jesus himself is our righteousness. Jesus himself is our peace with God. And Jesus himself is our faithful conqueror who has already defeated sin, self, and Satan. So when the scripture tells us to put on the Lord Jesus Christ or to put on the armor of God, it simply means for us to take the time to let these truths about what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf to sink down into our hearts so that we can understand who we really are in our new creation identity. It turns out that Jesus is everything we need. Our Father and our Jesus want us to know them more and more intimately through the precise and correct knowledge that can be found in our Bibles. Many people teach the armor of God as if it were Roman armor. That's where Paul got the idea of armor. But he's telling them about Jesus. He's not telling them about Roman armor. And that's important because Roman armor had nothing to cover the backside. That's not our armor. <laughs> I can turn my back on any situation and I am still safe. Jesus surrounds me with himself. I am fully clothed. And he himself is our rear guard, it tells us in the Old Testament. Jesus himself, Father himself, is our rear guard. We do not have to be afraid of sneaky attacks from the enemy. We are protected all the way around. We have everything we need in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Father God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you that it's true. I thank you, Father God, that we do need to remind ourselves of who and what we really are in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. You have called us to be ruling and reigning sons. You have called us to use spiritual power and authority. You have called us to pray. You have called us to change this world. And we can because of who you've made us to be and who you have empowered us with. We thank you, Father, for all that you have done in and through all the finished works of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.